Uh, you've been listening to something sound like about like rubbing the back of a rubbing board every night, and it's hard to hear, hard to understand, hard to get anything out of it. But I've, I've cleared up a little bit tonight for your sake, mine too. I'm glad about that. Hey, y'all, sit down. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. First, I want to sincerely, humbly ask your forgiveness and pardon for not appearing tomorrow night. But I found out that the old great you just ain't what it used to be. Every day it's about 2 o'clock before I can... Uh, get my brain turned over. Of course, I get up early, but I mean, I just go like a robot till about two o'clock and I get both eyes open and I, I'd hate to appear before my saints in that condition on Sunday morning, even if it's an apostolic hangover, it don't look too good to pulpit. <laughs> and we have had, really, I haven't let my work go to be here. I hadn't make that, didn't make that kind of sacrifice for you, though I would have been willing. That's why I have driven back and forth to be with my people. We've had deaths in the church family this week, funerals. Just uh, the general run of taking care of people's needs. But uh, I'm glad I came. Praise the Lord! Yes, thank you, Jesus. How in the world did you guys ever find such a fine pastor? Praise the Lord! Yes! Praise God! Thank you, Jesus. What you're supposed to do when I say that is say, well, it ain't easy. <laughs> Lucky. Amen. Bless your little old fat bones. Yeah. This is wonderful. Yeah. You're in good hands. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so thankful that I've made acquaintance with Brother Green, and I have a feeling that it's going to be a lifetime friendship, yes. mutually beneficial to us and to the work of God. Praise the Lord. And I'm just so proud he's a Louisiana boy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. So well loved in Louisiana district. So well thought of the brethren that labor in the work of God there. Praise, Praise the Lord. Praise. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Thank the Lord. Praise. Praise. Thank you, Jesus. Tell you what, this house keeps filling up like this. Either y'all gonna have to get on Metrocal or build again. <laughs> No doubt about that. Yeah. So glad for Brother Sister Lee to be with us tonight. Bless him, Jesus. And Brother Dean's assistant. His little wife was raised up in our church. She started out when she was just a little bit, wanting to serve God. And of the years that we pastored her, we never had the first problem with her. Never had the first problem. Perfect A-plus record. Praise. I don't know if Brother Lee's going to say that since he's at her or not. <laughs> but I think that he will. Praise. These folks love each other tremendously. They're doing great good work. 
Destinies are two of the most agreeable natured people in the world. Praise. Very successful in what they put their hands to for the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise. I'm glad to see Brother Davidson again tonight. I've known Brother Davidson for an awful long time. And he's just like he always was. That's right. I appreciate that. Praise. No, but still good looking. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I think of brains when I think of Brother Davidson, and I also think of a controlled spirit. Praise Two of the most valuable things in the world in the ministry of our day. Yeah. Brother Davidson's made many, many sacrifices, he and his good wife and children, to help get the gospel into the cities of the world. Praise. I appreciate that. I wish them the best success until the coming of the Lord. Amen. Well, uh, you know, uh, how many nights is this? Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Five nights. Thanks a lot. Oh, that's not too bad. Is <laughs> a sign painter in the house? If there is one, I want y'all to go change that sign out there. It, it said Jerry Green, but it should be G R E E N S T E I N. <laughs> you talk about a Jew driving a hard bargain. Mmm, <laughs> mmm. Mm. But I'm glad that I've been here five nights because I got five nights coming. <laughs> Boy, well, when he gets over there, I hope he's just as happy there as he is here. Yeah, praise the Lord. Saints love a happy preacher. Yeah. Don't nobody want to hear an old gritter lip. <laughs> Somebody has to roll their lip up like a window blind, you know. Oh, I love this man and his spirit and his enthusiasm. Yeah. Praise the Lord. And I want our saints to hear him. Thank yes, God for that. Yes, praise the Lord. You know who Red Adair is, don't you? Read about him. That's that man that flies all over the world putting out oil well fires. He can have that job. <laughs> but he's a brave little fellow, and he knows what he's doing. And what he can do, nobody else can do. And I never did meet his wife or him either, but I imagine if somebody called up and said, Miss Adair is Red home. I don't imagine she'd say, hmm, he never stays at home. <laughs> it's always gone. I imagine she'd say, well, no, you know, uh, Red's in Arabia today. He was in Czechoslovakia yesterday, but he had to go to Arabia. <laughs> that Red, he, he's a brain. He knows how to put them fires out. <laughs> and after Mrs. Abair's been married to Red all those years, I don't imagine that She'd be very thrilled if she if Red died and she married again and she married somebody drove an ice truck. <laughs> <laughs> I said I would like to say this. If other people want to hear you preacher, you do too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And who wants a preacher that nobody else wants to hear? Praise the Lord! So I thank God for your liberty and sending him our way. We need that man. We, we need uh, his enthusiasm. We need his spirit. We need his grace. 
We need that Holy Ghost that man's got. That man's got Holy Ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So when he comes, if any of you folks get off early enough, uh, return the visit. Yes, Amen. I never did mind to loan my hole, but I was always expecting to see it come back. <laughs> Praise the Lord. How about that? Amen. Well, I know pastors do all they can to stay close to their flocks. They're the most faithful profession in the world, pastors are. But the work of God is so serious and so specialized that once in a while men have to go help. I mean, there are fires that have to be put out. I mean, there are hopes that have to be relit. I mean, there are strengths that have to be fertilized. I mean, there are flowers that just have to be watered. And I thank God that you have a man able to do those things. Yes, praise the Lord. I love Brother Sister Green and their boys and their, their children. I'm especially crazy about these children. I just wish I could haul them off to be with me. Mm-hmm. Boys, we'd ride horses and rope rubber boats. <laughs> I think my days of doing that about over creeped up as I'm getting, but these boys look pretty simple. Praise the Lord. I want to turn you tonight to Exodus chapter 21 to something that you've heard preached on often in recent years. I imagine it's a popular text. But I'll just do what little I can do with it. This is what I feel on my heart, and I hope to share it with you and help help you with it. I'm wanting to have prayer before we read that text. Prayer helps things make up. Prayer helps things happen. Praise God. Prayer prepares our inward spirit to get right with the spirit of wisdom and truth. Let's pray. Father, we're asking you to help us tonight. Exodus 21, beginning at verse 1. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou bind Hebrew servant six years, he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, and that's where I'm going to work on tonight, and if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, he shall also bring him to the door or into the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. I thank you for the reading of the text. I just want to use the subject tonight. Plain talk to your pastor. Plain talk. To your pastor. 
I think all of us have come to see the value in a preacher who can say clearly what we need to hear. We have come to suspicion men who equivocate, who talk out of both sides of their mouth. But we find it a pleasure and a security and a safety to follow after men who clearly tell us what is needed. There's no doubt about that. There's no need to even press on that point. That's already ironed out. But don't you think that pastors have a right to serve saints who can also talk plainly? Yes. Who do not evade things. Who are not uncertain. Who are not uncommitted. But who can clearly say what their part is. This word plain, the dictionary, I went back and checked it and I'm using your minister's dictionary. Plain means clear or distinct to the eye or ear. Clear to the mind. Evident. Manifest. Obvious. Conveying the meaning clearly. Conveying the meaning clearly or simply. Easily understood free from evasion. There are some things that I would hope that as a child of God that someday you'd come and say to your pastor. I don't think it's right for folks just to hook up in the world and uh, sit down over a coke and a man look into a woman's eyes and say, hey, I like you. We're just going to start being man and wife. I won't do it that way. We need to... Uh, enter into advisedly a contract of matrimony, of marriage. We're going to go through courtship and then we're going to test this business out and then one night I'm going to say, Wilt thou and you're going to wilt. And we're going to get married and we're going to look up a preacher man. And uh, we're going to go to the courthouse and we're going to get the license. And we're going to have it recorded and we're going to dwell together lawfully. We believe in that. Yes. There's people not doing that. They just occupy the same quarters without the benefit of these highly valuable and necessary traditions and customs. And there are people who do that way in a church. They just like bums getting on a railroad train. They just run along there till they get about equal to speed and reach up there and grab a hold of the arms and they ride all the way to Asheville and get off. They didn't tell nobody they wanted to ride. They didn't say hello or goodbye or what's the price of cabbage in China. They just rode along as they wanted to ride and then jumped off. And there are people who are lacking in breeding and in character and in finesse who just show up at a church one night and just uh, like tomcats in the alley, they just take up. They find a saucer full of milk, they'll lick it up. And if there's one there tomorrow, they'll lick that up. But they're still topcats. Uh, they're heading east on the next break. Uh, they just come around, and uh, they don't never say me out. They just, uh, they just don't never do what this Bible said for this servant to do, to plainly say, I love my master, I love my wife and my children, I will not go out. I'm going to deliberately uh, 
I'm not brought to, but I am. I'm going to deliberately avoid this biblical setting here because I think that's one of the most popular things in Pentecost, and no doubt your pastor had his message on this, and you loved that greatly. And I don't want to take my time to uh, tonight to go into the scriptural, biblical background of this servant who was going to go free. I just want to use that light candle burning down there in verse 5 where it said, And if the servant plainly say. Now that is, if he removes any doubt as to what you're saying. Can you talk plain? There are some people who cannot talk plain. Uh, when you have asked them a point-blank question, they are so skilled at equivocating that you do not know what they meant by what they said. And the Bible teaches saints to be plain-spoken. There are some things that as a child of God, I ought to clearly say. I ought to remove any reasonable need for doubt or conjecture or question about what I mean by what I say. And I just want to go down the line that what I have here tonight is what I always have. This something simple. I'm, I'm not a cake maker. As people make wedding cakes. My ministry is just cornbread. I do put a little jalapeno in it once in a while. But, uh, I'm just a cornbread preacher. Just an old brush arbor dust stomper. And I don't know anything about these fine sermons. You, you can hear that uh, other times. You've heard it. God knows it. But I, tonight I'm just uh, do what I can do. And so I'm just going to start out just making his lip preaching and hope that I do some good. Yeah. And with your charity and goodwill and spirit, it might be that I'll say something tonight that will help new saints and help young people, help the boys, help the girls, help the, the maidens, and help the men, and help the grandmas, and help the grandpas, and everybody that's here yes. to be sure that you got into heaven. If I were going to be a member of this church, and if I never had done it, if I never had told my pastor this, and I've been here since before he was, I'd still find the time to tell him some of these things. Number one, I'd tell him plainly and clearly where it would be obvious and manifest. Brother Green, with all my heart, you are my pastor. Now, Brother Green, when you look out over the congregation and see me, I want you to have it in your heart that I am not wanting to be somewhere else. That when I see you in the pulpit, I'm not sitting there with some hallucination and some demon-like spirit saying, Oh, I wish I was over at Brother So-and-So's church tonight. That ain't going to be in my mind, Brother Green. I'm telling you that God has put me here. I'm here in the will of God. I have my own reasons to believe that this is a place where the Spirit of God that made the world wants me to spend my brief life yeah. and exert my efforts and my talents and my gifts in God. This, Brother Green, I believe with all my heart. I'm not doubting. I'm not worried about it. I'm not trying to decide. But I want to put my hand in yours and ask you, be my pastor. I had a lovely experience not long ago. We uh, had street meetings, and our son is a, just a whiz at that kind of a thing. He's just as blessed of God with his music, his personality, and his singing, and his burden, and his compassion for the public. And we got a family started, and uh, the mother prayed through, and then one night the power of the Lord moved unexpectedly. 
in the early part of the meeting and the power of the Lord fell on little Julia. She was about 11 or 12. It was a very, very, very poor family. A very dirty little family. Very uneducated, very underprivileged family. Their, their daddy is a horribly crippled man. An accident on the job crippled him up. And they've been oppressed. They've not had enough of anything. But uh, we worked with them, and the mother prayed through and got an experience. And then little Julie, one night, I guess it was song service, or maybe we were praying for the sick or something, but uh, her mother quickly brought the child down as if you'd think a mother was quickly ushering the child out to the restroom if she was about to throw up. It just happened that quickly. And the little mother had been Catholic. She didn't know what to do. And she just said, Brother Frieda, what? come help my girl. And I came over there and prayed and it was such a thing as anyone could have told that very obviously the Holy Ghost was being poured out on this Praise little girl. And we prayed with her and the, the saints prayed with her and she received a, an enviable experience in the Holy Ghost. It was so beautiful. so It was remarkable to me. I've seen some receive the Holy Ghost in my time, but that blessed me again. And it wasn't three or four nights later she had asked her mother, do something about my hair, Mommy. And she asked her mother, and her mother made a sachet at putting it up, you know. And the child is extraordinarily beautiful to begin with, yet in her poverty and, and all. And uh, little Julie came up and awaited that the brethren came by and put their ties in my hand and asked prayer for this or said a good word about this or we visited a moment and the, the, the people come and go and we minister to the needs after service. And I noticed this little child standing politely and patiently back to get her turn to minister. And uh, when I noticed it again, I just uh, turned away from those others that I was accustomed to ministering to and I said, hi, Julie. And she walked up, swallowed and cleared her throat and did with all deliberation. She said, Brother Fred, would you be my pastor? Amen. Bingo, it said. <laughs> would you be my pastor? I said, Julie, I'll be your pastor. Will you be my saint? And she said, yes, sir. And I'm her pastor and she's my saint. Yes, the scripture said here that when this moment comes that a guy can go free if he wants to. I mean go and minister himself. Set up his own roadside fruit stand if that's what he's got in his mind and live a free man. But if on the other hand he said, oh, I tried that one time. Man, I went broke the car business, went broke the drag line business, went broke the gravel business, went broke the asphalt business, went broke in the brimmer business. I don't want to be in business for myself. I just want to work here with you. I, I don't want to leave. I, li I like the way you do. I'm very pleased with what i got here. I'm be honest with you, I'm better off and got better balance doing this than I did when I was having my own canoe. Oh no. If that man were plainly say, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, I do not want to go free. I want to be your servant. I'd like this. I'll be here tomorrow. But the, the law requires, and this is beautiful, the law requires that man to plainly Yes, not that uh, well brother green sometimes i'm happy here i don't know if i want to go out or not sometimes i feel like this is a good church brother green of course i know today i can go free if i want to and boy it sure is alluring out there but 
Well, I probably won't now. You know, what I want to say is I don't really, I haven't made up my mind too clear yet. Not too clear. But if you think I ought to stay, well, uh, you know, if you, if you, you know, just whatever you think, and uh, the way it goes, and the way the cookie crumbles, and the way the drip falls, well, I, I just, whatever y'all, that ain't going to get it. Because you can't work with a man that one day wants to go free and the next day wants to stay and work and be contributory to a great thing. That's right. You can't work with a man like that. Mr. You can't build a house on sinking sand. If you do, you have yourself to blame. Because all nature tells you that the winds will blow. And the waves will come and the, the creek's going to rise. And that sand will not hold in adversity. Right. And if a man builds on the congregation of people who's here Sunday night and they're going down to Cooter Town and Brownville next Sunday night, yeah. he's a nut. Yes. Right. God don't require a preacher to pastor people who cannot plainly, clearly, without uh, stuttering, say, Brother Green, you are my pastor. Now I understand you folks are fixing the building. A good, commendable, blessed new building. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, somebody said it ain't mine. Well, maybe not. I understand that. God doesn't bless everybody with the ability to forecast the needs of the future. God doesn't bless everybody to have courage. God doesn't bless everybody to have vision. But he blessed Henry Ford too. And I'm glad I had a hard time riding a yellow mule here tonight. <laughs> there isn't everybody in the congregation, mister, that are blessed of God to have health. Not everybody's blessed of God to have education. Not everybody's blessed of God to have courage. But some are. And I'm glad that they are. Yes, and not everybody's blessed to have vision. Not everybody is a man blessed of God to know the times. But God puts it in the heart of his pastors to know. And if the minister and the saints of God that have a burden say, let's go ahead. Even if it's not my burden, I would know how to react to that. I'd say, well, I don't see the need for it. But understand, I'm not blessed with vision. Understand, God didn't call me to pastor the church. Understand the, the prosperity and the success of the future of this church isn't in my hand. And it's a good thing it's not because I'm scared of big money. And I'm scared of payments. And I'm scared of high utility bills. And I'm terribly scared of high insurance notes. But we got a man sent from God with a heart like a lion. And he's not scared. And if he's not scared, I'm not scared because he's my pastor. And I'm going to follow him as he follows the Lord. That's right. But now, if John Brown loved his wife and his children so much that he was disturbed by their living in a little shotgun house where they had to pull a curtain to take a bath and where there was no room for a washing machine, no room for a dryer, and all the boys and the girls had to sleep in the same bedroom and there was not really room for a good kitchen stove and not room for a deep freeze. If John Brown loved his wife and loved his children so well that he went to the savings and loan or the bank or the insurance company and made a loan for 40 years, 
And he said, I understand what I'm saying. I understand that I'm going to get up when I don't feel like getting up and I'm going to work. I'm going to the wharf. I'm going to the railroad yards. I'm going to get on that truck or I'm going to get on that tractor, whatever my job is, I'm going to do it. I understand that I could live where I'm at and just mess around and work on Wednesdays and let that be it because there's not much taxes on that little chicken coop I'm living in. And uh, it just isn't hard to make ends meet, but my girls are going to grow up and they're going to have beauty and they're going to have life and they're going to have laughter. And I want a place for my children to grow up so that they will remember me that Daddy did all he could for them. And my boys, they're going to grow up in this little old 50-foot lot here. Well, uh, I, I want to move out uh, somewhere where I can have a nice lawn for them to play their badminton and play a little ping pong and where we can get out in the yard and have a good wrestle if we want to and play a little crochet, croquet and all that. And um, I'm just wanting to do something for my family. That's why a man does it. It's for his family. But now, friend, what of the woman and what of the children that wait until that new house is built and they just come around and say, Toodaloo, I found me another man. More black hair on top. <laughs> and the boys say, Dad, you trained me how to make a living. But I don't want to work in our garage. I don't want to work in our shop. The competition down there has offered me a job. And I don't like you. You're grouchy. And you, you, um, you whipped me when I was mean. And old, John, old Jim George down there, he, he's competing with you to get the business, but I'm going to go down there and help him. Now, don't mean to hurt your feelings about it, but we're going to wipe you out. We're going to get all the cars and trucks down there and work on them. There's something out of order about that. A good woman, the Bible said, buildeth up her house. A foolish woman plucketh it down. That's right. And I'll tell you what, if I would be you and my pastor had a vision to build something lovely where my daughters could be married by candlelight if need be or if it was desired, and where if the death angel took away my companion, a beautiful place to have that final moment of honor. My pastor's got a vision to build something for tomorrow, to hold the church together, to preserve a place where the whole gospel yeah. for the whole world can be preached. I'm just telling you, count on it. I'm going to tell you in a way that you, I'm not going to stutter. And I'm not going to uh, argue about it. I just want to come and tell you, Brother Green, I'm in this church to stay. Now, I may leave, Brother Green, but y'all will carry me out feet first through that front door. And the undertaker will have had his money when I quit the church. The Bible teaches saints to learn to plainly say, I love this church. Yes. I love this pastor. Hallelujah. I love what I can do for God right here. Hallelujah. All right. There is in the world a vagabond spirit. Drifters. <laughs> they ride the rails. They just soon ride in the coal car, the potato car, or the caboose don't make them no difference. Oh, that spirit of a vagabond. No roots. No commitments, no promises, no goals, no achievements, just drifting through life. But brother, sister, if you ever want to be a great, good saint of God, somewhere or other you've got to say, this is my country. Yes. This is my order. Yes. 
That's my prayer room. Praise God. This is my Sunday school class. This is my young people's work. This is my ladies' auxiliary work. This is my bus route ministry. These are the people I want to touch. And this is my pastor, and this is his family that will be my friends. And this is his wife that I'll lean upon and depend on for her prayer. I've got my mind made up. This is my church. Praise God. I believe that I'm in the Houston area preaching. And I believe you've got churches nearby. You've got them all flavors. You've got them all sizes. But do you know you never amount to a hill of beans? And God knows that's a literal truth. You'll never amount to a hill of beans until you get somewhere and drive your stakes down so deep that you punch a Chinaman when you go down with it. And you say, Lord God, this is the place where I'm going to put my feet down. I'm going to live here. I'm going to serve here. I'm going to work here. I'm going to let loyalty spring up out of my breast. I'm going to be strong here. I'm going to be dependable here. I'm going to live here and I'm going to die right here in this assembly. Now, I'm not asking you to make that type, kind of commitment to General Motors. You get through with Chevrolet and you want to go to Plymouth, if you have other reasons, I'm not talking about that. I'm not even telling you if you've been working for pure oil for 20 years, if you get a better offer with Humble and better benefits and a better crowd to work with and it's closer to home and you like it, that might be the very thing to do. But brother, when it comes to saving the one soul that you have, the scriptures teach us right here that a man ought to plainly say, leaving no room for doubt as to what is meant. Brother Green, I want you to be my pastor. Praise me. I had a, an experience some while back that explains what I'm talking about. A Catholic man, that's about all we ever get a hold of, and they're fine came in and uh, he said, uh, Brother Free, he said, this baby here, her mother just died. Of course, I buried the woman. She was Catholic. She had a tremendous call from God and went to the altar and just monkeyed around a little bit. In a few days, she was dead. And she left this one little child and she called her brother four days before that and said, would you raise this child for me? And this man was in the altars and I baptized him. He hadn't got the Holy Ghost yet. And he came up and he said, what can we do to get this child dedicated? And I explained it to him. And my little way of doing it, I have the family and the parents and the grandparents all to come for prayer. And he pulled something out of his pocket in a little envelope. And I immediately recognized it to be a tithing envelope. And he put that in my hand. And he said, Brother Free, as of right now, will you be my pastor? I said, yes, I'll be your pastor. And you'll be my saint, and I'll do the best that it lies within me to see that you get into heaven. That'll be our relationship, that I'll give the best that's within me to see that you're saved in the end. When I went home after Sunday school and looked in there, there was $4,580 in that envelope. It wouldn't have taken that to have convinced me that Lewis 
was sincere. But can any of you say that he was not? You know, there's got to come a moment, brother, when you make up your mind, who will guide you? Who will lead you? And where you're going? Man, it's like being in business. If you're in the livestock business, you can't change from Jersey's to Herford's week after week. You've got to make up your mind to stay with a bloodline at least 20 years to get the full potential out of breeding. You've got to someday make up your mind if you want to be with the Beef Master Breeders Universal or the Pole Herbert Association, you've got to make up your mind which way you're going. Because if you did not, you'd constantly be cutting your own throat financially, working against yourself and never getting anywhere. And this is a time when people are light and giddy and just got it in their mind that religion is some kind of sophisticated game. But oh, if there's anything in this earth that is serious, it's the matter of getting our souls saved in that final judgment day when God will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! That's the first thing I'd say. I'd say, Brother Green, I want you to be my pastor. The second thing is, I'd say, Brother Green, I don't want you to use up the best years of your life worrying about me. I'd say, Brother Green, if I can't be in service on service nights, whatever they are here, yes. ours are Tuesday and Thursday, maybe that's yours. If I can't be here Tuesday night, Brother Green, you're not going to wonder where I'm at. If I'm up the myth tree, or if I'm sick in my body, or discouraged in my soul, or mad at you, or God or the devil, you're not going to worry about that. If I'm not going to be here, you're going to know before you go in the pulpit where I am. If I've got to work over, Brother Green, I'm not going to have you sitting there wondering, oh God, did he get offended? Oh God, did his wife get offended? Oh God, is there trouble that rose up over the children? Oh God, has he fell foul of some spirit and could not recover himself? You're not going to worry about me that way. I've got a finger and I know how to make your phone number and if I can't be there, Brother Green, I'm going to tell you where I am. Yes. I don't know if you understand it that way or not, but when we raised our children, friend, we knew where our children were. Yes. We say, why? Because I'm responsible mentally and spiritually and socially and legally. I'm responsible for my children and where they are and what they do. And I know there are very many things that would destroy children. I know this is a world of crime. I know it's a world laden with accidents. And I've got to know where my children are or these eyes never close and sleep. I've got to know. And does not the scriptures teach that we are instructors and we are fathers in the church and that the saints of God are born of the Spirit and that makes us children? And it not, ought not to be irritating to you that the minister insists on knowing where you are. Now there are some people praying that I just could not test it. I don't have enough patience. I don't have enough uh, whatever it takes to pastor ill-mannered people that will leave town and go see Grandma and me not know where they are. Look, I, if I'm going to be responsible for your soul, I've got to know how you're doing, Chuck. Look, this is the agreement that I have with God Almighty. He said, He made me the overseer over the church that He purchased with His own blood. 
And if any man in the church comes and any woman, any boy, any girl in the church comes and seals their covenant and reaffirms it by putting God's portion of money in my hand to be managed, to be used, to be distributed for the spread of the gospel into the whole world, that is a resealing of that covenant. That means that if I tell you what to do and I tell you right, you will be saved if you do it. I'm just telling you frankly, and I'm not trying to be proud or smart at it, but if my saints will do what I tell them to do, they'll be saved. I'm telling you, I don't hold back, brother. I, I give them the whole counsel of God as much as I am able to. And as I know, whatever abilities I have, my saints are going to get it. I'm going to help them. I'm going to stand by. I'll fight hell and high water to get to my saints. But now I expect them to do what I said to them. The way I understand this proposition is that if I fail to tell them what they must do and they live just what I preach, that they will be lost. But as these trembling saints stand up there, because who, who are your pastor? Go get free. And in that place, I'll be hard in the hell because I failed to give them the light they need to save their soul. Look, man, there ain't no salary you can figure up to give me to take a job like that. No salary, man. No salary. I mean, I've got to be sufficient student of the Word of God. I know what it's talking about. The buck stops here. I've got to know what to tell people to do to get them in heaven when the trumpet sounds. I mean, I got to know what to do to lead a congregation of people to keep them in adequate physical, spiritual health that when the trumpet sounds, if you're sick or if you're asleep or if you're in a trial or in a problem or whatever it is, I got to have you so full of the Spirit that when the Spirit just passes over the earth, boom, up you'll go. And if I fail to provide that for you, I'm lost. All right. That's well understand. That's I'm wrong, right. boy. Straighten me out. I'd, love, I'd sleep a lot better if I thought I was just a hired speaker. Yes.
You see, if I'm going to be answered to God for my saints, I want at church. You know, there's some people who forgot what Jesus said. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I mean, God don't intend to play second fiddle to me. I mean, God don't mean to be some remote part of my life. I'm, he must be all or not at all. He must be Lord of all. And let me tell you, you can't let a job and working overtime and saving money and buying bigger cars and bigger hubcaps, you can't let that stand between you and being in the house of God. Amen. Somebody said, yeah, but I want to buy me a farm up at Alto or up in Henderson. I want to buy me a farm up at Paris, and if I do that, I got to leave just soon I walk out the plant on Friday, and man, I've got fences to build, and I've got cows to fatten, and I've got squirrels to kill. And I just can't be that except Sunday night. You're not going to be saved that way. No, Listen, friend, if you're just as poor as a goat snowbird when the end time comes, what difference will it make? That's right. Let me tell you, the one name of the game is being saved at the rapture, praise God. There really isn't anything else that matters appreciably but having the Holy Ghost and being ready to meet Him when He comes. All this other stuff's going to fall off like the skins around an onion. It will be meaningless and tasteless and useless. And the good thing is that we're going to go out when the trumpet sounds. Praise the Lord. Don't let nothing get between you and come to the house of God. I mean, somewhere along the way, you've got to make a commitment that me, I go to church when they're having meetings down there. You say, oh, you don't know, this is Houston. Well, the rapture's going to come over Houston too. Amen. Oh, you don't know my job. Well, there must be something like 900,000 jobs in Houston, and you don't need but one. And somewhere there's a job where you can put God first. Somewhere there's a job where you can be here to help the man of God preach. You can be here to say amen and shout and worship God and work in the altar. Somewhere there's a place you can be faithful to the house of God. See, I don't like that kind of preaching. You ought to. It's good preaching. Yeah. Yes, it is. You know what God uses me for, just like the, these old Catahoula curs over there in Louisiana, these old hog dogs. You're trying to drive a bunch of pigs, you got to have a dog. Because one of them will run and bolt and get out there and squeal, 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 squeal. He'll pull all the rest of them with him unless you've got a dog around there, run around there, make a bad face, and growl and bite him a little on the ear, and that pig will get back in the bunch. Well, that's what I'm for. I go around and Anybody's kind of out of the bunch, I bite at them a little bit. <laughs> I can get by with it because I don't have to preach to you Sunday morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, sometimes a visiting preacher will come by and simple-minded saints that haven't got established yet, they'll say, oh, that evangelist, can't he sing? And can't he preach? Woo! I had him for my pastor. <laughs> well, that's kind of like, uh, you know, an old favorite uncle, old bachelor uncle. He comes around, you know, his pockets bulging with bubble gum. Suckers up here. Mints over here. Comes out to his brother's hard working place, you know, out to the farm and this old bachelor he sails the high seas. He gets about six months a year off, makes about three thousand dollars a month when he's working. The rest of the time, you know, he's got no wife to worry about and 
got no babies, got a burp, never changed the diaper in his life and all that stuff. No, never mixed the formula, never got up and warmed the bottle under the faucet. None of that, never tended to a baby when the baby was just 105 fever and just trembling and convulsed. Never did know that. He just he came by, passing out the bubble gum and the, the spearmint and oh, the juicy fruit, a box of marbles here and some chiclets over there, and some M&Ms over there. <laughs> and the little children that don't know when Uncle Free gets ready to leave on Friday night, they say, "Oh, come back for those chiclets and bring us some more M&Ms." Oh, don't be so simple. When you're gone, you're gone, boy. I got other work to do. I'm going back to sea. But you got a mom and daddy that goes in there when you're having a bad dream. And wakes you up and says, Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. It's a bad dream. You want to drink bring bring you a drink of water? Okay. Okay, you're all right now. Oh. Boy, that line had me. And Daddy came in, woke me up, brought me a glass of water. Mm, I'm so glad. I ain't gonna bring you no glass of water. And I got all I can do. But you got somebody that will bring you a glass of water. Mm. Frenchman said, "You see that, huh?" Oh, look, don't know, don't never forget it. The man of God that will stay by you in death yes. and in sickness yes. and in family trouble. Thank the Lord. And when your kids so help you, God just won't do nothing right. And you pray and you, you just pray and you're out. Your kids won't do nothing right. And your pastor's there to console you and guide you and help you over those hard points. So there ain't nobody as good for you as a man God gave you. Amen. Hmm? That's right. I'm talking about plain talk that saints ought to say to their pastors. Number yeah. one, you're my pastors. Yeah. This is my church. I'll be here when you when you look up, I'll be here. If something happens, I can't be here, Brother Brain. You won't have to worry where I am. Now, I don't know if you understand that or not. Yeah. But a preacher don't work with his hands and his feet. He works with his heart. I told Brother Green before I came in here tonight, I said, Brother Green, if I go to hell, and I'm not. Ain't none of us got it made yet. You hadn't either. But I said, if I go to hell, it'll be because of this huge sorrow that's in my heart because of people who backslide. I just can't hardly take that. I, I'm a man in my 40s, but so help me God, I just... I just ball up on that problem. I just I'm hung up there. It just it just slap dab kills me to see people with everything in the world going for them. Just simply without feeling, without loyalty, without love, just turn around and say, Toodaloo, I'm gone. And be gone. And leave you like that. Well, you say, that ain't never gonna happen to me, but how do we know it don't happen to you? You know, sometimes in meetings across the land, I've seen people pray through that I thought their experience would be so good that they'd never, 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 never turn away. And they did. I have seen people whose experience was like mine, quite mediocre, but who live for God regularly and faithfully without making a bother. But you don't know and I don't know, friend. You don't know and I don't know what's in a human heart. And when you don't show and when you're not here and the devil is after you and there are dangers on every hand, any man of God who cares is upset and he is hurt. 
and he something is taken away from him wondering what now I wouldn't do a preacher that way not me brother if I lost my voice and I was looking for a church I'd look up toward Texas and I'd say or write it on the tablet if I couldn't speak I'd say brother Green you're my pastor this is my church if I can't be here I'll call you don't worry about me I'm going to stick it through but I'm not going to let you be worried over that. You've got plenty of worry about besides whether or not I'm able to keep going for God. I'm going to tell you when I, I'm not there. Hallelujah. The third thing I tell the pastor was this. Get me a seat. Get me a ticket. Get me in. I want to go. I started out. I quit the world. I quit sin because I want to go to heaven. And I know that my salvation depends on you a whole lot. I know that I can't make it by myself. I am so complex. I am the result of 200 generations of evil genetics. I am bred down not from the Jews, not a drop of Jews' blood in me, preacher. I'm Gentile. My mom and daddy was totally Gentile. And their parents were Gentiles. There's not any holy blood in me. I'm the result of 200 generations of God-haters and sinners. I have a friend in the ministry who's always going around bragging about his ancestors. Early American this, early American that. And uh, I, I try never to show irritation, but he got the best of me one day. He said, what about your ancestors? Can you tell me where you came from? I looked up and I said, I'm not sure. Never made any research on it, but I believe we came over with Oglethorpe with the thieves. <laughs> My daddy was an orphan, so I don't know where they came from. Every free I ever met was either one-legged or a car thief, so I don't know nothing about it. Nothing to brag about. Oh, that's in me! And it is only by the grace of God, Paul said, that we are what we are. Yeah. I don't know where your bunch came from. No. Oh, I understand. I'm joking. I don't know that they came over with Oglethorpe. That's where Oglethorpe got that boatload to settle Georgia with, was thieves. They kept them in the jail in London until they couldn't pay the suit bill no more. And they said, let them go with Oglethorpe. And that's where they established Georgia. Yes. And since that time, we have Mr. Carter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I want to teach you that all that background is still in you. And as is the mother, so is the daughter, the prophet said. And another one said, as is the father, so is the son. There's all this in us, and God knows we're complex, and we meet complex arrangements, and we need somebody to carefully hover over us and warn us when we do wrong and watch carefully when we have tendencies and trends towards wrongdoing and evil. And we need somebody, rather, to be an overseer and take a good hard look at us and have the liberty to say, don't do that. Somewhere in your life, friend, you got to license somebody to be a policeman. You don't know how to do it by yourself. There's a way that seems right to a man. And it's fatal results. The end thereof are the ways of death. There are things that seem cool, boy, they seem groovy. But the truth is they'll just knock your head slap 
I mean by that, there are times it seems like we're on the right track, but the truth is we are greatly distant from the right way. And we need somebody separated from us up on the watchtower wall, highly exalted, gifted and benefited with a better view than we have up on the turret, up on the wall, sent there by God, trained and commissioned and refreshed. We need somebody to look out for us to see above where we normally can see. You, you need a preacher. Amen. And you need to let him know. Now look, when you come down the line, Brother Green, and you're preaching to me, you're not going to encounter resentment from me. Have at it. Well, I want you to get me a ticket. I want you to get me a seat in there. I want to go. And I can't do it by myself, I'm telling you. I just need the help of the Word of God. I want you to be free. I want you to be bold. I want you to be clear. Little Brother Harry Haygood came by our place some years ago in a revival and he made a remark one night that just blessed me. Great. Harry, though, if you know him, he's a, oh, such a fine man. He said this, he said, if any of you know anything that I need to know to help me be saved, tell me. And he said, you need not be careful. I want to know. Yes. You need not be careful, Harry said. Yeah. Man, that's the spirit we need. Yeah. We, we yeah. need to say, preacher, uh, line me up. Yes. Preacher, reach out after me. Grab me. Stir me up. Jolt me. But don't let me be lost. Don't let me be lost. That's it. You know, you really got a problem if your preacher gets discouraged food with you. Brother Gidrow said one time that a man told him this man had always and habitually opposed everything that was done. But one morning, there came a big move of the Spirit through, and this man went down and prayed around the altar, got a real, personal, actual, genuine touch of the Holy Ghost. He came to Brother Gidro and he said, Look, he said, I've been contrary all my life. Never have been for nothing you said. But he said, This morning, I feel different about it. He said, If you ever see me do anything that's wrong, you just feel free to take a baseball bat to me and straighten me up. Yeah. Praise the Lord. So Brother Gidro looked at him and said, Sir, do you take me for a fool? Yeah. In other words, a leopard don't readily change his spots. And I'm telling you, a man who don't know whether you'll bite or whether you'll wag your tail is going to be real careful about what he says to you. Yeah. Because if you're going to blow your stack and get ugly, you may... You may uh, you may remove the affections of many persons from the minister and from their families. Yes. Sometimes it's just a part of wisdom to let a guy go. Man, if he's got his mind made up, he ain't going to do right. Let him go. God will take care of that. You say, you mean sometimes a man is allowed to do things in the church and the pastor doesn't reprimand him? The pastor don't say a word to him. Part of wisdom is to pass over that matter. He's not going to be hemmed. When I preached for Brother Pugh some years ago, he had some men in his church that were known by their history to be difficult. And I prayed and sought God and fasted to the extent that I thought maybe I could help him. And after the fifth week, I asked Brother Pugh one night, I said, hey, 
What about uh, so and so and so and so? I said, are they seeming like they're making any improvement? He just wheeled that quickly. You know how quick he can move. He said, Brother Free. He said, you can't help any of those old men. You haven't heard any of them. Let's go on with the revival. That gave me one of the best lessons I've ever had in the ministry. You can wear yourself down with people who don't mean well and neglect saints of God that hunger for a crumb. You can let people who will not do right get your victory to the point that you just lose any desire to help anybody else. And so after a while, a preacher learns just to dial it up. Well, I got to, I have seen people. I don't have any now. But I have seen people that they lit up a lucky strike in the service, I would say. They've had it done. And to pluck that tear up would destroy some wheat. The wind's going to take care of that. The lightning's going to take care of that. The hand of God's going to take care of that. But what I'm telling you is, for God's sake, don't you ever allow yourself to get that place that you have subconsciously threatened the minister to corrupt you. Always be easily corrected. Yes, Your own children. You know children vary so much. They vary so much. One of your children, maybe, maybe all you've got to do is snap your fingers and they'll just come back in life. And you don't mind to do that. You're making a little lady out of that girl. And she's quitting. But then maybe you have a boy that just doesn't respond like that at all. And it gets to where after a while you just say, You know what I'm talking about? So the fourth thing I would urge you someday, just to come and when you had time to talk with your pastor and when you can say it plain and clear is, be sure and get me a seat. Amen. Drag me through. Get me through. Pull me in. Whatever it takes to get me in. Get me in. Now, do you know, do you understand it, that you have a tendency to lean towards the flesh? Yes. Paul said, there's no good thing in my flesh. Yes. He said, oh, I, I want to go to church. I want to live for God. That's not you want to do that. That's the grace of God in you. Amen. It's not I, Paul said, but Christ living in me. That's not your nature. That's not your flesh doing that. It is that you have grace. And you need to, to confess it to yourself and to plead with your preacher. Hey, don't give up on me. If you see me do wrong, please understand that I could and I do deliberately want you to sound off. I want to be saved. More likely, preacher, between now and the 4th of July, I'll do something at it. But come on to me with it. You don't have to take me to the office. I'm going to listen to you in the Word of God. Yeah. Maybe I ought to spend a little moment on that. That some people, if the pastor can keep them in the office three times a week, they can live for God. Yeah. That's not where you need to get get that. No. So, well, I can get back there and get help. What you want is attention. Titty baby. Yeah. A man of God is never more effective. He's never more powerful, never better than when he's in the pulpit with the anointing on his soul and he's breaking the bread of life. Listen, what he says then. And you don't need to be back there just pulling him and pulling him and pulling him, sucking the well dry. Y'all reckon that's all right? Yeah. That's all to do, huh? Praise, praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! The fifth thing I'd say is that, Brother Green, I pledge you for my benefit, for your benefit, that my children 
will never hear you criticized in my home. Now you need to worry, Brother Green. If, if you drop your watermelon on Sunday night, and if you can't preach a lick, the weariness, the confusion of the spirits of the congregation, it don't make no difference what you do, Brother Green. You're not going to be criticized around my table. I'm telling you what I'd tell that man if I lost my voice or couldn't be a preacher anymore and I came here and this is where I won't come, right here. I'd say, Brother Green, I just, uh, I ain't no need you worry about this. You, My children will not hear you criticize. Here's how it comes. My children may get sick. And I want to tell you in 1977, trust in God for healing is still the best way, the quickest way, and the cheapest way there ever has been. I want to tell you that the ambulance still visits the back door of the hospital and the hearse goes there every day. Medical science has made lots of progress, but friend, I want you to know if you get well down there, God did it for you. The doctor gets paid and the credit, but God did it. God did it. And friend, it's some more hard to come into a home where there's a teenager or a junior that's rebelled against what the pastor said and his wife taught. Rebelled against it. And you pick that up over bacon and eggs in the morning and say, I know it. I just got to understand why they're preaching all the time. It's the same thing here. Then you go in the home with an oil bottle and try to get healing. And then poor little fellows with their heart beating so fast with that fever, they don't get a thing. Because their heart's not clean. You've got to believe in the man of God to get anything he's got. Any blessing God uses him for, you've got to have trust. Open confidence like a son's got for his father if you get any good. You see, if parents hear the ministry criticized, if it's your pastor or some evangelist or somebody else, it about has the same effect, really. On Sunday nights, you know, when the minister stands here with his whole soul pleading for the young people back there, your boy that's so nice and so fine but backslidden out of the church and away from God, when he makes a plea and says something strong and powerful, the devil just pulls a Venetian blind down over the whole thing. He said, yeah, I know what you are. Daddy said you were just a money hungry. Yeah, Mama said you're just a hard-headed ramrod and a kingpin. And Mama said you're a dictator. Yeah. 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 You try to say somebody over that. Yes. So, Brother Green, if you were my pastor, you wouldn't ever hear me say anything in my home in front of my children. Hallelujah! That's one of the best things I've said since I've been here. It wasn't very exciting, but it sure was biblical. Praise the Lord. It sure is right. Yes, Blessed be the Lord. Amen. 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 All right. Well... Another thing that I'd tell my pastor, because I know you, you, I don't really expect you to know this, so I will offer it to you as something I learned. I'd say to my pastor, I don't want you to get too tired, Brother Green. I don't want you to get too tired. Have you thought lately about the effects of fatigue in the human body? Have you thought about driving too late at a time? I was over in Tennessee the other day and I stopped in, in a place and I heard on the radio that they had a check down the road that's checking truckers for everything, their log books and all. I'm just curious, after I finished my coffee, I walked over and asked that man, what did that mean? And he said, listen, you have to have a report there of how many hours you've driven. You can only drive so many hours a week. And he said, it don't make no difference in the middle of town where it is. You've got to stop right there. You can't go no further. And of course, the man was quite irritated at that. 
but he was wise, man. He said, you know, if it didn't have some restrictions, man, to get home, he'd just drive and drive and drive and drive, and there'd be lots and lots of wrecks. You know how driving too late will do you? You'll pull out to pass, and it look like that car's way down there, but by the time you get pulled out, the moment of truth, that car's right there on top. Yes. Fatigue does that. Fatigue causes an unusual amount of carbon monoxide to be in the blood. And when that blood flashes through your brain, it doesn't have the oxygen that is needed, and it causes you the center of judgment to be on. Uh, a fatigued soldier can't shoot straight. A fatigued driver is a terrible threat to himself and to other drivers. A fatigued doctor? Man, no. That's why they operate early in the morning when they have these heart transplants and put these pacemakers in. When that man is at his most rested part of the day. Because fatigue is the difference in being able to do a marvelously skillful job and a butcher job. Now, what does a preacher get tired of, people? What happens to you if your favorite dish is rice pudding with uh, pineapple chips in it? That makes a nice pudding. You like that. You eat it and you eat it and you eat it and you keep on eating it. You keep on eating it and you keep on eating it and you keep on eating it. After a while, you'll have to... Uh, it, it might be if you have perfect digestion that can stand that much stress. It might be that gradually the stomach takes care of it. But more than likely of that, after a while, much of that will come back up. <laughs> I ain't telling you a thing you don't know. Well, a preacher and his wife work constantly, not with banana pudding, but we work constantly with people. And when you get so much people, and when you get too much people, One fellow meant real well one time. He said, Brother Free, he said, I just see you aging so much. And he said, I see you so tired. He said, why don't you take a bunch of the saints and go to the river? <laughs> <laughs> That's like saying, boy, you're green behind the ears and watermelon around the mouth. Why don't you get that rest of that bowl of pudding and go to the bathroom with it? <laughs> Impressed me is one of the greatest preachers I ever met. He pastors in Bakersfield, California. I don't see anybody here from Bakersfield, but I, I'm not ashamed to tell you. No way, but I had five men in that church. It was, um, well, they was about three bricks low, shy of a full load. And, and just kidneys, you know. And some were old and some were young, but Brother Terry had a big 
chair he set out in the backyard. And, uh, every now and then somebody would go knock on his patio gate. And he'd get up and go. They'd come and they'd sit down there. And Brother Terry always kept a big bowl of nuts on his little patio table. Pecans, peanuts, almonds, walnuts, uh, etc. And uh, just automatically people would start cracking nuts and eating them and talking about their problems and their troubles. And uh, Brother Terry and I enjoyed each other's conversation like two living men never did. And we were just so happy with discussing these things in the Word of God. And directly here come old so-and-so. He'd pack on that door, Brother Terry, and say, Come on in, Junior! Or whatever his name was, no Junior. He'd have no pair of faded-out khakis on, a pair of sneakers, and he'd sit over there, you know, and almost get up in Brother Terry's lap and just talk about it the most shallow matters in this world and sit there and just <laughs> eat these things, you know, and I just watch that. After a while, you could see that fellow got better. He got comforted. Brother Terry get up and go to the gate and hold the gate open. And just, that was polite, but it was, the man knew his time, time was up. And he just, Brother Terry said, get your head full of nuts. And he did Okay, away he'd go. And then after a while, somebody else would come in, and maybe this fellow would be a dejected, depressed kind of a fellow. And he'd talk in low mutters and uh, all that. And he'd crack these peanuts and eat them. After a while, a certain amount of time came, not by the watch, but by the what Brother Terry found. He'd go over that gate, and he said, It's a beautiful day there, isn't it? If the man kept sitting down, he'd say, hey, come on, I'll buy you a coat. He'd put him in his car and drive around the service station, buy him a coat and leave him, come on down. <laughs> so I asked him one day, I said, Brother Terry, I said, with a kind of, he had 600 more. I said, what, uh, how do you do that? How do you have the time, the energy, the patience to do that to all these people? He said, well, he said, I'm their daddy and they're my children. And he said, every one of my kids has got a right to crawl up in my lap. But he said, you notice I don't spend all day with them. He said, I listen at them a few minutes and I open that door and they're not offended by it. They go on about their way. And I, I really began to notice how he worked with his people then and it blessed me. It taught me. I realized as much as he had on him, if he gave everybody that much of his time, he would just be worn down. He would be irritated. He would be, in, he'd be wanting to come up with it all the time. But he limited himself. Yes. You know, there's some folks that uh, they, they love the preacher and his wife, but they want to go to the house and sit and rock and rock and rock and rock and rock and talk and rock and rock and rock and rock. Well, I've seen people stay long enough to boil collard green before they get up there. <laughs> and uh, just wear the preacher's wife out. I, I will tell you, Brother Green, that if I came here, I'm going to be concerned about you and your wife and your privacy. I'm not going to come in your bedroom and sit down on your bed and look in the clothes closet and say, you need to shine them air brown shoes, Brother Green. And I'm not going to bring my unicycle and ride up and down on your driveway. I'm not going to bother you. If I need you, I believe you'll help me. But I'm not going to soak up your time and I'm not going to preoccupy you and I'm not going to rub you wrong. Saints would learn to pray. If they learn to get away with God and say, what is this that's in my life? Are you trying to teach me something, Master? Oh, 
open my heart and give me strength and courage to go ahead with it, rather than just to be a constant crybaby on the pastor and his wife's shoulder. Yes, amen. Do you know what I believe? I believe if you do something for a disciple of the Lord, if you but give a disciple a cup of water in the name of the Lord, that you'll never lose your reward. I believe the Master said that. Yes. Yes. I believe there are times that some of the sisters could call Sister Green. you want it and I'll just bring it by and I'll put the carrots and the potatoes and the onions and the parsley and the filet gumbo and all that with it you know and I'll just bring it by and I'll just meet me at the door now Sister Green I haven't got much time but I love that good preacher Brother Green got for us and he's blessing me and I do want to be an assistant I want to be a help uh, you know there are folks that uh, if a preacher buys his own home they say oh <laughs> He's evidently getting too much time. <laughs> well, boy, my daddy used to be a preacher and he lived in the back of Sunday school room. That preacher's buying his own home. There's another way of looking at that. He didn't make the church buy you know, if you went down to 7-Eleven and said, look, I'll stand here and put some cash register for you if you'll buy me a home to live in, put furniture in it. They say, look, you get $86 a week here and two coats on Saturday. That's all you're going to get. You build your own home. <laughs> you know, there are folks that chafe at a pastor if he has a, a large home or a nice home. But on the other hand, somebody's got to keep the evangelist, and you want to. You don't want to make up new beds every day, put up with an evangelist kid. You know why evangelist kids are so mean? They have to play with pastor's kids. <laughs> but see, when a pastor provides his own home, he's taking care of a man of God that is blessing 150 families, and yet he's providing the lodging and oftentimes the food. You know, it's not just the pastor's evangelist. The evangelist is helping everybody. Everybody's benefiting from him. And so it ought not to be anything unusual for the men in the church that have a good job. And I'm not talking about retired men that can't do it, widow women that don't have any way, but I'm talking about you fellas that have these nice jobs that you're proud of. Sometimes they come around after service and say, Brother Green, I, I didn't put this in the offering, but I noticed uh, the evangelist's wife required quite a bit of after service entertainment. Uh, I got a five here. You all go to Denny's or you go to wherever you go. Well, I, I don't have time to go. Well, just take this and help on the bill. It'll, it'll be helped. There's a lots of ways that you can help, that you can be a blessing, that you can lift up the heavy corner of the work of God. Just simply by being considerate. Just simply by wanting to help. I asked Brother Olson one time. He, I never saw anybody any really more sharply effective in an altar service, an altar call than he was. And I envied knowing what he did. I said, how is it that, uh, how do you think of those marvelous things to say during an altar service? And as is consistent with true modesty, he didn't know he said them. Well, he said, like what? And I mentioned some of the things that were so touching to the heart and so graphic and 
People came right out of their seats when he said those things. He said, well, I hadn't noticed. But he said, it's just that if you care in here, you'll think of something to say. Wasn't that a good answer? If you care in here, you'll think of something to say. That's right. And if you really care for your pastor and his wife, you'll think of something to do to help them. So, so many times there are people that would like to uh, be a blessing. Sometimes you can be such a blessing by just saying, Sister Green, uh, let the children come out to my house tomorrow. I'll watch for them. I'll watch. They won't get on the street. There's nothing here to harm them. And I promise you, I'll watch for them like you, can, you do. But the weekend's coming up, and if you could be rested and relaxed by letting me have the children a little while, I'd be so glad to do that. And those children will learn to love you, and when they get to be married, folks in the church, they'll look back and call you Wayne. Ain't Pat, ain't Sue, ain't, ain't Ginger. And they'll say, they were so good to me when I was just a boy coming up in the church. When I was just a little girl in the church, the saints cared for me and warned me. And what problems I had in other ways were made up for by. Then there are, there are boys in the church. You know, uh, I never did have but one pastor. Brother E.W. Stanley was my pastor when I just first received the Holy Ghost. And I wanted so bad to do something for him that... Uh, I didn't have a lawnmower, but I borrowed lawnmowers from center neighbors and pushed it all the way to town to cut the grass at the church. And back in those days, he had a Pontiac to drive. And I made it my business on Saturdays when I got my chores done on the farm to go to town and get a bucket of water and carry my boots with me and wash that car down for him. It was, no, it was a joy in my heart, a pleasure to do something for the man of God. You see, someday I'll have a reward for that. Anything you do to let a minister have a little bit of relaxation, to take a little bit of the problems out of his hand, it's so biblical. But Peter said it's not reason that we ought to leave the Word of God and serve these tables. There are so many things that a minister and his wife does that real considerate saints could say, hey, I'll do that for you. Hey, you want me to fix those girls' hands? Hey, you want me to take those boys to the library for you? Hey, uh, you want me to keep that horse for you out here on my place? I'd just be glad to. I want to do something for the preacher. I want to be close enough to you that I can follow after your spirit so that my spirit can remain clean and pure and godly before the Lord. I'm going to say just a little bit more is all. Say amen. <laughs> There's just a little bit more ginger in this box and I'm going to season the pie with that and then throw it away. The whole box. How much do you really pray for your preacher? Everybody ought to seriously and deliberately, energetically and abundantly pray for the preacher. You say, but Brother Free, he's so good, he's so humble, he's so prayerful, he's so spiritual. But oh, look how many faucets comes off the main line. Look how many places he has to distribute his enthusiasm. And his love, that's got to come back somewhere. And of I have it written on the, the bar of my typewriter. My best asset is praying saints. I'd rather have in my church saints that daily, deliberately, feelingly pray for me than for the church to strike oil out in the backyard and have a big old oil well pumping so we could build anything and do anything we wanted to. I'd rather have saints that would pray for me than to be a world traveler. Saints that would get a hold of God because so many rich, abundant blessings that can't come my way any other way but by prayer will be mine. My folks who pray. 
بچه‌ها خوشحالین؟ 